the edge with your Premier League predictions while well, we've teamed up with InfoGoal to delve deeper into the data behind the game this season. From outright favourites to expected goals outsiders, we'll help you find value in the markets this season. This is Premier League Insights. Hello and welcome to Premier League Insights with Pinnacle. It's game week number seven for the 2021 to 2022 season. And uh, I'm James Gregg, your host as ever, and also Jake Oscarthorpe putting the info into info goal. We're going to keep with that strap line. <laughs> Mainly That's because second make... appearance in successive shows. So yeah, because it makes you laugh. It actually puts a really <laughs> big smile on your face and it's a good way to start the show that with a smile on Jake's face. I love it. Um, last week wasn't our best of weeks though. I've got to say, we do a recap. Fair is fair, whether we have a good week or a bad week. And look, let's be honest, we'll have more good weeks than bad weeks um, because we just will. It's just just a, a fact. <laughs> but <laughs> last week was one of those where we yeah, wasn't the strongest, was it? It wasn't the strongest week. And um, I'm just looking. Uh, we actually had some good ones, some really good uh, picks there, under two and a half goals in the City versus Chelsea game. Well done, Jay. And also you were really pleased with this one. Um, West Ham win and both teams to score. They were the two really good value ones uh, there. So uh, well done. And um, you said, you know, maybe a small bet in the Newcastle game and, you know, stay clear of the Palace-Brighton game if you can. It sort of turned out to be a cagey affair, that one. Um, And yeah, the rest kind of didn't really. (laughs) Well, there were a few surprises, weren't they? There were a few surprises, yeah. but, But what's good about that is, is that it brings us you know, onto this week with plenty of talking points, doesn't it? I want to pick your brains on a couple of bits and bobs, just reflecting on last week's games, first of all, Jake, before we go into um, making our selections for this week. Just um, two results, really, that will change things potentially and change the way that we look at things going forwards. Manchester City burst in Chelsea's bubble. Thomas Tuchel, you know, did he overthink things? Will it make him... You know, I don't know. Or we're just City really good? Was that the start of City's season? Can we start talking about them as title challenges again? Because almost last week, I, w- I was certainly writing them off almost um, and, and until we looked at those stats where actually, you know, they were 13th or whatever at the same stage last season. They went on to win the league. And the other game was where does this leave both Arsenal and Tottenham? Um, and Arsenal came out on top. They looked actually pretty good. You've been saying that Arsenal actually didn't look too bad. In the last couple of weeks, it wasn't probably really a surprise to you uh, that they came out on top in that North London derby. But those two results, are they going to change the way that we think going into making this week's selections, Jake? Definitely, yeah. Um, I think, starting with Manchester City, the manner in which they beat Chelsea was the eye-catcher, really, rather than the actual result itself. Um, I think there was a lot of dithering in the market, really. Couldn't really decide what to do with the game. They had it priced as... Um, each of two while we were recording. Then Manchester City went off marginal favourites for, for the match at Sanford Bridge, which I think was correct. I think that Manchester City were deserving favourites. I don't think there was too much or as much improvement um, from Chelsea under Tuchel from the last time these two played at Stamford Bridge to suggest that Chelsea should be going off favourites. So the price was was bang on for Manchester City and, and the, the performance really was... Um, well, it was sensational. I mean, they, defensively, they looked unbelievably solid. Um, and going forward, they created loads of loads of chances. And I, it's not really a surprise, is it, given that the fact that they, they played pretty much all of their attacking players. I mean, De Bruyne played, Grealish played, Foden played, um, Gabriel Jesus played. You know, they, they literally played 
a front five in effect with Rodri holding midfield and uh, and protecting the back line. But the way in which they pressed meant that Chelsea couldn't exploit the lack of defensive players in the team because one thing I, I didn't think I'd see much of or as intensely was Manchester City's press. The way in which they hassled Chelsea and, and made, them, made it so they barely had a second on the ball. I mean, Jorginho usually picks the ball up and can paint a picture of where everyone is and, you know, hook a couple around the corner or set attacks off, but he didn't have the time to do that with the way in which Manchester City played. And I think that's a key thing that I would like to see again at Anfield. Um, but I think that Liverpool have the capabilities to play much more direct than Chelsea. Um, obviously, Chelsea have Lukaku up there, but other than him, the way in which they set up that game anyway, there, there wasn't a lot of help. Uh, whereas I think Liverpool at Anfield, if they are to play more direct with the players that they have in their team, I think they'll be able to cause Man City a bit, a few more problems with that, um, with that high press. And as for Arsenal, I mean, they were very good in that first half, but equally Spurs were terrible. They were really bad. And I think it, for me, it was in, encapsulated in the first goal because the ball gets past Tottenham's midfield of and Dombele, Hoiberg and Deli Alley, which was a bizarre choice of midfield, really. Very unbalanced. Um, and as they broke beyond that midfield, those three midfielders were just jogging back into play. They were just jogging. And I was watching that and I was, could not believe my eyes. I was like, right, you're out of position. Sprint back in and try and put some pressure on the ball. And before you know it, it's a goal. Uh, and that's when I knew it was just going to be a very difficult day for Spurs because tactics were wrong. Didn't look like the player's attitude was right. And uh, again, they just really struggled to get any sort of attacking you know, play. They weren't very fluent yet again. Harry Kane looked disinterested. I know it's a word we keep using with him. Um, and, you know, the, the only spark really for Spurs was Lucas Moore. I think he was the better player on the pitch in terms of actually trying to get something going. He was trying to do it all in by himself, dropping deep to get on the ball, driving forward. Um, and yeah, as Arsenal, I think they're definitely turning a corner. As I said last last week on the show, I did fancy them for top six at the start of the season. Um, my view hasn't changed. They had a tough opening schedule. We know now that Brentford away is a tough game. I mean, they've shown that enough times now. Mm. They gave Brighton a really good run for their money. They're unfortunate to lose that. Obviously against Liverpool, they've gone toe-to-toe with them uh, at Brentford. So that's a tough game. So we can't read too much into that. Plus the absentees for Arsenal. Uh, and then they played Chelsea and Manchester City. So to start the season with three defeats out of three wasn't a massive surprise. Um, and perhaps there was a big overreaction at that point. And, uh, and since the, the schedules got a little bit kinder, a little bit easier... Uh, they've got players back fully fit. They've now fielding what is a really strong 11 in my mind. Um, they'll start picking up results at a more consistent basis. And, um, you know, that Tottenham are the, are the team that I am majorly concerned about. It's not like Arsenal where you can look at it and go, things will get a bit better. Spurs were top of the league after three games. Yeah. Nuno's won manager of the month. You know, people were looking at the results and going, oh, wow, Spurs are they're really good contenders. They're keeping clean sheets, winning games 1-0. It's vintage Nuno. But if you dig deeper into the underlying numbers, they were playing like a bottom half team. And now, you know, they're, they're still playing in that same way, but they're getting results in which their performances deserve. And, and then as long as they continue to do that, they'll keep falling down that table. Yeah, because teams seem to be hitting the straps a little bit more, don't they? They seem to be getting into... You know, if there's if there are teams that are underperforming, they're going to get found out, aren't they? The deeper into this season you go, bar the odd sort of freak result. So that's why that's going to happen. Uh, really interesting. Let's get into our week then. Uh, this is game week seven. And as ever, we're going to just pick out four games that we're going to do a bit more of a deep dive into, just kind of justify the reasons why and pick out a, a value bet for everybody to get an edge in the market in this uh, in the soccer betting. And then what we'll do is we'll, Jake will sort of pick out, um, you know, a quick fire rest to the best of the rest. 
as well um, before we uh, wrap up the podcast. Also as well, do stay tuned for this. If you want a bit of a Mo Salah deep dive, he's become the fifth quickest to reach 100 Premier League goals. So we're going to just have a look at why he's so good and talk about some of the numbers as well. We'll do this throughout the season with certain standout players for certain teams. Now, the first game that we're going to look at um, this weekend is Manchester United against Everton. Now, this is something that's quite interesting, Jake, for me, is that Man United are out to 8.5 now to win the league. Just on the September the 6th, that was the day the Ronaldo signing was, there were 4.75. So that market is completely shifted, hasn't it? You could argue that, you know, everyone just got scared stiff of the Ronaldo effect and, and, and whatnot, or actually it's not really, really made that much of a difference. Um, so I don't know where you see this one at the weekend going, uh, Jake, but it's, um, it's an interesting game. It's at Old Trafford, uh, one and a half on Manchester United to get the victory. Everton way out at 7.8. Um, so this is at time of recording on pinnacle.com. As ever, you can go to pinnacle.com for the odds. Uh, where are you finding the value here, mate, at Old Trafford? Um, it's, a, it's a strange one to call, isn't it? Particularly after that freak result last weekend. Um, I don't think that was a freak result at all. I think that result was coming. Um, what we've seen from United is, uh, yeah, they, they've got attacking talent, but there doesn't seem to be a plan. Um, it just seems to be very off the cuff. I think we've spoken about this before on the podcast that when you watch Manchester City, you watch Chelsea play, there's a clear pattern, and even Liverpool, there's a clear pattern and way of playing uh, when the ball gets into the final third. When it gets to Manchester United, it's just sort of like, right, well, we're here now, so somebody do something. Um, and that's not a sustainable way of playing football, relying on big moments from big players and um, also defensively they, they're they looking very vulnerable from a number of different positions I mean counter-attacking we saw Newcastle expose that a couple of games ago where the way in which they counter-attacked um, Aston Villa did so as well but also set pieces which is not something that we saw last season uh, with the dominance of Maguire especially but so far this season they have looked a little bit vulnerable from those set pieces and Villa obviously scored the winner from a corner Everton rock up and they're a team that are very good from set pieces. They've got some big, big boys in that team. Um, and they, you know, they, most of their, not most, but quite a lot of their goals last season did come from those kind of uh, of set pieces with the likes of Calvert-Lewin, Yeremina, Michael Keane, all the big guys that they have there. So this is not a, a walk in the park. You mentioned Man United's price to the title there. I'm surprised it's not drifted to being much bigger, to be honest. I thought you might say that. I thought you might say that. You know, I still won't be backing them anywhere near 15s, to be honest. Uh, I think that they're they're so far out of it because if you factor in that time of recording, they're yeah they're, they're in they're in the mix, they're in the top four, but they haven't played anyone from the big six at all yet. Not you know we we, we always joke about our Arsenal Spurs big six teams. They haven't even played either of them yet, <laughs> so they've not really been tested. Then you look at Chelsea, you're on the same number of points, and they've obviously picked up. Um, they've played. Spurs, they've played Manchester City, they've played Arsenal, they've played at Liverpool. Um, even Liverpool, they've played a couple of those teams. So there's, you know, it is there's points in the season where you start to take note and be realise that teams are in false positions based on schedules as well as performances. And Man United, they arguably should be higher in the league based on their schedule because they've had one of the kindest opening, uh, kindest starts of the season. I mean, you know, they, they, they've dropped points to Villa at home and Southampton away. Villa are uh, probably a 
mid mid table team, Southampton, perhaps relegation threatened. You know, it, it, that, that's not they they can't afford to be doing that at this stage of the season when the schedule's so easy. Is this the part then when you absolutely tell us to lump on Manchester United this weekend? Absolutely not. No, <laughs> no. We, we, you know, last season they had some real struggles at Old Trafford. It looks as though those that that's continued. Obviously, it started well with Leeds win and Newcastle win, but lost in the Carabao Cup to West Ham. They lost to Aston Villa. Play Villarreal in midweek, which is before, um, which we're recording this before that game. But I would not be at all surprised if they don't win that game either. And all of a sudden, the crowd becomes a little bit restless. Four home games in the space of a week, no wins, because I don't think that they'll beat Everton. Getting Everton on side in some way, shape or form is the way to go. And I know they've got injury issues and concerns with Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison. I think Richarlison's definitely out for this. Calvert-Lewin is most likely out. But I still think that Everton are well-drilled enough to be able to go to Man United and get a result. And um, that's one of my bets. But my favourite bet in this game is both teams to score, um, which is priced at around 1.98 on Pinnacle. And, and that is because of Manchester United's defensive weaknesses, but also the strengths that Everson have shown in attack, even without um, their sort of star attacking players in recent weeks. They you know, they put Norwich to the sword quite easily. In total, they're averaging 1.7 expected goals for per game. Um, and yeah, defensively, they're looking really solid, our Everton. But I think Man United will get on the score sheet. They should have got on the score sheet against Aston Villa. Obviously, the penalty miss from Bruno Fernandes uh, prevented them from scoring there. But um, yeah, I, I'm expecting quite an entertaining game. But I, I just, I think it just doesn't feel right around Manchester United at the moment. And I can't, sensibly, I can't part with my money on backing Manchester United at that kind of price in this kind of game. It's a massive banana skin. Um, and Everton have shown more than enough so far this season to suggest that they can go to Manchester United and get a result. But I will caveat that with the fact that as with Manchester United, Everton haven't played a big team yet. This is their first real test. Yeah. So, um, you know, we'll have a much better idea of where these two teams are at after this game, but I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Everton get a result. But my best bet in this is both teams to score. I think we could be in for quite an exciting game because Everton do play quite an open brand of football and, um, you know, depending on what the result's like in midweek, Manchester United might have to really open up and, and try and put on a performance. Yeah, there we go. That's the first game boxed off and justified really well as well uh, with just looking at those odds as well, because I, I've got to say, and I'll try and keep opinion to you as an expert looking at the odds and stuff on this podcast. But I remember when Ronaldo signed the odds did dip below five for them to win the Premier League title. I'm thinking, come on, I think everybody needs to calm down a little bit here. Despite the fact that we were singing Ronaldo's praises hugely, weren't we, on that opening podcast after he had signed and we did a bit of a deep dive into him and you were saying what amazing numbers he's got and I was saying what an amazing buzz factor it was going to have around Old Trafford. It's still there. It doesn't make you Premier League favourites, does it? Not when you've got sides like Chelsea who are so well-drilled and so good. Manchester City, who started off poorly, but yet put in a performance like that at the weekend. You've not seen any of that from Manchester United. And that's, like you said, rightly pointed out that those easier fixtures have been all theirs this season. It wouldn't have been a surprise before the season started, when you look at the fixtures and you're going to say, oh, look, Ronaldo's going to be playing for him if they had been at top of the league, would it? but they've not really capitalised on that at all, Jay. You're absolutely right. So that's interesting. Um, talking about teams that need to bounce back a little bit, Chelsea is the next game that we're going to 
look at here on Premier League Insights podcast, plenty in Southampton. Uh, they're out from threes to now three and a half to win the league with Pinnacle. As ever, you can go to pinnacle.com for all your odds. Just looking at info, Gold Jake and the analyst. The verdict is that both teams to score no is probably the bet to go for. Um, you can find odds for that on Pinnacle. And wh- where do you see it? I mean, 70% chance of a Chelsea win, according to Info Goal. What do you reckon? Is that about right? Yeah, yeah. Can't argue with it, really. I mean, we were disappointed with Chelsea against Manchester City. I was, anyway. I thought, especially going 1-0 down, I thought they'd at least, you know, have a real go for it, uh, go at it. But um, the way in which City controlled the game really did limit Chelsea to very little. And, and I think that, again, we saw a few teething issues um, post-international break in terms of the attack not quite firing, not quite gelling just yet. Um, they're not quite on the same wavelength. Um, and I think we saw that the weekend as well. But I've got no doubts that they'll be able to bounce back here and, and beat Southampton. Um, Saints are a team that we, we spoke about pre-season as being potential relegation candidates. And um, I've not changed my opinion too much on that. I know they've got a couple of good results in the, under the belt, draws with Manchester United and Manchester City. But you know, the, the, res- the performances of late have been really, really disappointing from an attacking standpoint. And um, there's only so many games you can draw in the Premier League. Um, you know, ultimately, you need to win matches if you're going to stay up. And, um, you know, the, the, Danny Ings has left, he's departed, and, and they've tried to fill the gap with Adam Armstrong, who's a, he's a nice player. I don't mm. mind him, but he's not quite at the same standard. But even last season with Danny Ings, the issue wasn't, scoring the chances it was creating the chances and, and that seems to have continued into the season so whoever they replaced Danny Ings with was always going to have a difficult time of, of getting on the score sheet just because the team has, just wasn't functioning very well in attack and that's shown so far this season I mean 1.17 expected goals for per game is what they're averaging and that's you know it, that's bottom half bottom six kind of numbers and, and you couple that with their um, defensive process which has improved in recent weeks has to be said they have looked a little bit better a little bit tighter but they're still performing at a level that we would expect to see from a team battling relegation um, so it it's difficult to make a case for anything other than a home win uh, we speak, we've spoken about Chelsea's defence on numerous occasions now how good they are how solid they look um, how well drilled or well organised they are so again it's just really difficult to make a case for anything other than a home win and the both teams to score knows a bit I like. I do like that one that the, the, the analysts put up. But under two and a half goals caught my eye uh, at 2.12. And the reason for that is, as I said, Southampton aren't creating a lot of chances, but they have tightened up defensively. And that's shown by the last three Premier League matches featuring a total of one goal. Um, and that's come against a West Ham team who are free, free scoring. Um, and they create loads of loads of chances. It's come at the Etihad against Manchester City mm. um, and against a Wolves team who haven't had an issue creating chances at all this season. I know the results haven't gone their way in to- uh, you know so far, but they've they've created 11.1 expected goals in six matches, so just under two expected goals per game, and, and they limited Wolves to just 1.08 expected goals. So um, I think Southampton can keep Chelsea at bay. I don't think they'll get absolutely destroyed or blown out or anything like that. Um, so under two and a half was where I was looking at 2.12. And, you know, you can combine that with the Chelsea win to get a marginally bigger price, but I personally would just stick to the under two and a half because, you know, if you throw a Chelsea win in there and, and they have attacking issues like they did um, against Manchester City or in the first half against Tottenham, then, you know, a draw really comes into play. And if, if these two are to draw, um, then it will be a low scoring draw, just like Southampton managed at Manchester City. 
It's interesting stuff. It's a good pick though, that one. I do like that. And <laughs> we've actually said it, I think seven weeks out of seven weeks, Chelsea to either win to nil or both teams to score no or <laughs> or under two and a half goals in their game. So, I mean, you know, and this is the sort of game though, isn't it, where there is a value, Jay? You no, know, purely from a betting standpoint, that's the sort of thing where, yeah, if the odds look right, you know, Southampton against Chelsea or all the things that we talk about every single week. That's the kind of place where you can find value and Jake has found it nicely for us. That's what we do on the pod. That's what we do here on Premier League Insights going week seven. So there you go. So Chelsea to win both teams to score no or under two and a half goals. At What was that? 2.12 on Pinnacle, I think. Yeah, 2.12. That's excellent. Um, great stuff. So that's the second game that we've got boxed off here on Premier League Insights Game Week 7. Now, the next game is Jake's favourite team, Brighton, against mm-hmm. Arsenal um, at the Amex this weekend. And, well, I mean, Brighton with a... I mean, look, we, we talked about the game against Palace. Leave that one well alone from the last game week, just purely because it was one of those... Uh, even though it's not a geographical derby, it's a derby, it's got a bit of spice. We never really know which way it's going to go. Palace were actually a bit in the ascendancy, I thought. Brighton, you know, they, they are good. They, they, their numbers are still good, are they, Jake? We'll find out, actually, just in a second. But, um, yeah, this one is against Arsenal that are a team that are in the ascendancy as well. So... What do you reckon um, to this one? Are the Brighton numbers still pointing to them being and finishing a top 10 Premier League side this season? Are Arsenal's numbers improving? I thought Aaron Ramsdale, by the way, was absolutely fantastic in that uh, Tottenham game, as most of the players were as well going forwards. I actually thought they they looked a much different, better side. Um, But I'm not sure what that's done to the XG numbers. Um, or expected chances or anything like that. So you, you hit me with the stats and we'll work out a best bet from there, shall we? Brighton, they're cashing in their look from last season, it would seem, because, um, you know, their process is not terrible. It's not it's not relegation worthy or anything like that. It's definitely mid-table, but they're getting the rub of the green. They're getting a bit of luck in tight matches where the, the, there isn't much between the teams. And, you know, we saw that with a very kind of lucky last-minute equaliser against Crystal Palace, uh, the way in which the goalkeepers cleared it. And it's bounced off the you know defenders put it over the other Crystal Palace defenders missed his header or left the ball and all of a sudden more pies in to make it one one and those are the kind of chances that Brighton would probably miss last season um, and they're dropping that which is you know it's, it's nice to see from um, an analytics perspective because it is almost a, a case of regression but it's not quite reg- regression to the mean because as I've said the process has actually decreased from last season um, but. They're still a very difficult team to beat, which is where the bet's coming from in this. Um, they're conceding just 1.19 expected goals against per game. Uh, that has them as the fifth best defensive team in the league through six matches. But going forward, they're creating just 1.17 expected goals for per game, uh, which has them as the sixth worst attacking team through six matches. So they're not creating too many good chances. They're not conceding too many either. So... Arsenal are in town. I spoke last week about their defensive improvement, um, albeit against the likes of Norwich and Burnley. But against Tottenham, they limited very well to just 1.1 expected goals. Uh, it was just a one big chance, wasn't it, for the goal? Um, dealt with them really well in the first half. And, and you know, going forward, they not really didn't really blow Spurs away. It was much more of a counter-attacking, very precise, in which they uh, they scored their goals, um, racing to that big into that lead. I don't think they'll be able to do that against Brighton, and, and that means that I'm Siding towards under two and a half goals yet again, uh, around 1.85, 1.81. Yeah, that's pretty on good. Pinnacle. Um, and yeah, that I, I just think that 
this Arsenal team's definitely improving. It's definitely getting better. I said last week that Thomas Party is the key cog for that Arsenal team, just because he provides, he's like the comfort blanket for all the attacking players. They don't really have to, obviously they'll, they'll still do the pressing, they'll do the, the tracking back. But when Thomas Party's there, they know that they've got someone behind them that's going to, you know, he's, he's a destroyer. He's going to go and break up opposition counterattacks um, in transition, and all of a sudden, Arsenal are back on the front foot again. And it just gives everyone that little bit that lift going forward that they can express themselves a bit more, knowing that there's someone like that in the midfield that can sort of cover their backs, if you like. And the, set, the defensive, you know, the back four, all of a sudden in the back five, you said Ramsdale had a really mm. good game last week. He's starting to shape, take shape and look like a you know a decent back five. The, the the new lad at right back looks very solid. He looks more more like a centre-half that they've pushed out to right back a little bit just to give a bit extra security which I quite like um, you know Ben White and Gabrielle look like a really decent partnership there that, that could they potentially do. be blossoming yeah. uh, Ben White's a fantastic technician brilliant footballer Gabrielle looks like a, a real leader back there um, and that left back you've got Kieran Tierney who, who's you know lots of energy decent quality going forward and, and as I've said you've got Party in there Jacka played in there with him that's a decent pivot for the front four to, to go and create chances for it um, with Brighton set up I think they'll struggle to create at the Amex so signing with a low scoring game um, I think the market's about right in terms of 1x2 um, I think had Arsenal not beaten Spurs the price um, you know you might have been getting around 2.7 around an Arsenal win so the price is coming sh- just a little bit based on uh, on that victory. Uh, and I think that's I think that's fair. I think people are starting to see Arsenal are actually a decent team, decent unit. They're well organised in attack and defence, um, and they've got some quality. Um, I think the only issue I have with Arsenal really for the rest of the season is strength in depth. They don't have any. Mm. You know, if Party gets injured, who steps in there? I don't know. If Ben White gets injured, you, you know, system, Rob Holding stepping in there, you know, it's not the same standard. If Aubameyang gets injured, who's going to go and score your goals? Saka, Smith Rowe, you know, they've got Pepe on the bench, but you know, this could have to be a change. Still system. a drop off, exactly. Yeah, and, that, and that's the issue I have with them long term. I think when they're all fit and they're firing, they're a very good team that you want to have on side. But um, yeah, just keep an eye out for team news and injury news. I would say. Yeah, that's a good shout, actually, because he's just, he just starting to hit the straps, isn't he, Arteta, in terms of finding his 11, finding that best 11, finding, well, those, you know, it takes a while for players like that to gel as well, doesn't it? Particularly after a bad start to the season. But no, they look, um, I think that's quite a fair bet, actually, under two and a half goals. We like that. We like that bet this week, don't we? Under two and a half goals. Now, yeah, low scoring affairs. I'm not, I'm not sure that we're going to say that for this one, though. West Ham against Brentford. <laughs> but you might actually sort of, surprise a few of our listeners here with this one we know West Ham are a bit gung-ho we know they like going forward um, expected goals this season is down from last season I'm guessing I've not got the numbers in front of me but I'm thinking hmm. um, Brentford obviously scored three at home making their home Brentford Community Stadium a very difficult place to go for away teams However, there were the London Stadium this weekend against West Ham. That's on Sunday. So I'm trying to just think, what does what does everybody think to this one, um, Jake? Uh, we'll go with the analyst from InfoGoal, first of all, who reckons that West Ham to win um, is probably the value bet this week. You're sort of remaining relatively poker-faced as I look at you across this screen here on that one. Um, yeah, the Hammers, of course, did need uh, Mikel Antonio's uh, late goal to deservedly, you know, beat Leeds 2-1 at Ellen Road last week. Um, but Henford, I mean, wow, what can you say? Three all against Liverpool. They'll have a spring in their step, won't they? They will, yeah. They'll, they'll start, I hope they'll start playing with no fear now. I know they've been a little bit reserved at the start of the season. They've been 
playing some sort of defence first football just to you know get a few points on the board be difficult to break down but the way in which they played against Liverpool was a bit chaotic really it was sort of they went toe to toe it was like a boxing match it was like you mm. throw a punch we throw a punch and um, I hope that continues because it was you know it was a fantastic game to watch and West Ham are another good team to do that to because West Ham while not at the same level as uh, Liverpool in terms of attacking talent, they're not far behind. Their their front four is um, you know is excellent at creating chances, and, and they do it consistently, game to game. They're averaging just under two expected goals for per match, and it, this is a this is could easily be the same kind of game as a Liverpool match. It could easily be a three three ding dong, and um, I think. It, worth bearing in mind West Ham are on European duty th- on Thursday but they are at home this time around uh, last time they went they were away at Zagreb before playing against Manchester United without Mikel Antonio they're at home against it's rapid Vienna on Thursday so they don't have the travelling to deal with um, they have Antonio who's obviously in the form of his life at the moment he's just literally he's unplayable at times the way in which he's going the Sheffield Wednesday legend um, yeah the Brentford, I just hope that they adopt the same approach in this match um, because it would be a fascinating game to watch. It'd be excellent for the neutral. Um, and, you know, they, they've shown that they can. They can match a big team like Liverpool who've got attacking weapons left and right and really just sort of go go blow for blow. And, um, yeah, I, that's why I'm sort of leaning towards the over two and a half and mainly due to the price. I mean, when I was looking through Pinnacle, I was expecting to see around one8 for over two and a half goals, um, and it's currently available at one point nine three. So I think there is a, a there is value in backing that price, which is the main reason why I'm looking at, at going for it. And obviously the stats kind of back it up, particularly in, in West Ham's case, because not only have they been creating loads of chances, as I said, they're just just shy of two expected goals per game, but defensively they, they've looked a little bit vulnerable. They leave themselves exposed because they do play such a, a attack minded style of uh, football which has led to them allowing 1.44 expected goals against per game so um, you know everything's pointing towards a high scoring match West Ham won't they're not a team anymore under David Moyes who turn up and try and keep a clean sheet and win matches 1-0 they they turn up and try and score goals and entertain the fans and you know that's why I'm a little bit disappointed this game's not on Sky to be honest because I think um, I would have preferred to watch this match than Crystal Palace Leicester but you know, I don't control the schedule. <laughs> well, our foreign listeners, and there are plenty of them, by the way, Jake, they will have the pick of them. They can pick whatever game they want. I'm oh, very jealous about that. Or CBS or Al Jazeera yeah. or wherever it is in the world you are listening to Premier League Insights podcast. It'll be a belting game. It'll be an absolute cracker because it is, there are two teams that are end-to-end. There are a bit gung play. So over two and a half goals is where you're going. I'm glad you said that as well, mate, actually. Um, yeah, really glad that you said that because yeah, we can't have all the games going under two and a half, can we? No, no. Otherwise, the Premier League would be very blooming boring all season, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, if that was the case. Now, the game of the weekend, the game of the season so far. I we said <laughs> is that, that back, back, is it? <laughs> yeah, that's back. We've got to bring it back. Is um, Liverpool, Manchester City at Anfield? Um, interestingly, before we get into the game itself, and also going to do a little bit of a look at Mo Salah, special look at Mo Salah uh, with his hundredth Premier League goal. Uh, last weekend. Um, Liverpool are 4.75 to win the league. Man City are at 2.0 and they are favourites. So uh, that will fluctuate throughout the season. Of course, it will. It always does. I'm surprised that Manchester City are as short as that, having had the start that they've had. But I suppose that reflects on the fact that they are the champions and actually they've got so much quality and they'd been a little bit unlucky in a couple of the games they'd been held at home, etc. as well. But um, in terms of the game, we'll do the game quickly and then we'll get into Mo Salah, shall we, Jake? Uh, how, how do you see this game? 
at Anfield. I mean, it, there's a way here for Pep to play it, isn't there? They had a great result last weekend against Chelsea. That was like almost a must win. This almost feels like another must win in a way. Um, I mean, if they do win it, you could go, wow, that's what a great back-to-back couple of weekends that is. But where do you see it, this one at Anfield on uh, on Sunday? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm kind of struggling with this one because uh, I know what you're saying about Man City should be a little bit longer in the title race, but I actually think they, they should be shorter. I think that even money is, you know, given the way in which they dismantled Chelsea, I, I think that's a really, really solid bet because even if they lose this match and go what would it be four points behind Liverpool and potentially three points behind Chelsea. They've got, you know, that, that's, that's through seven matches and they'll have played at Chelsea, at Liverpool and at Spurs in those first seven matches. So for the, re- you know, the, the games that they're going to have left against those big teams are all going to be at the Etihad. So even if they fall behind, um, I, I still think that given that most, you know, that most of the games are going to come at the Etihad against the big four, which we're going to call them now, um, you know that that's a massive advantage going down the home stretch. So I I think that the way in which they played and dismantled Chelsea for me was a real statement. And I think many people, including the bookmakers, have Chelsea as the second favourites, um, better than Liverpool because of their defence. And we saw Manchester City just expose Chelsea's defence time and time again. They racked up 1.7 expected goals against Chelsea, which is something that you don't see very often. Um, and Liverpool, they you know for the most part this season have looked very solid at the back but that game against Brentford just throws a real spanner in the works in that um, of that thought path because to concede over three expected goals against a newly promoted team is being one of the big four that is concerning you wouldn't see Manchester City doing that you wouldn't see Chelsea doing that they don't do that against teams that are outside I mean Man City have never done that ever I don't think I don't think I've since I could be wrong, but since since we started collecting the data in 2014, I don't think I've seen Manchester City conceding over three expected goals in a match, especially since Pep Guardiola has come. Yeah. Um, so that's a huge concern. And that was a full strength back four as well, uh, or back five if you want to include Alisson, back six if you want to include Fabinho. So that that shows me that they're... He, they, they're not quite at the standard defensively as, as the title winning season. So automatically, I'm swinging towards Manchester City. Um, now the... The kind of caveat towards that is Man City have been excellent, yes, but they had a taxing game at Chelsea. They then have to play in Paris against PSG, yes, before playing at Anfield. Now that is that is some week, and I know Chelsea City have got a you know a, one arguably the best squad, one of the best squads. I think Chelsea probably have the best squad and deepest squad, but nonetheless, I mean that is that is a tough tough run of fixtures, and that can take quite a bit out of you. So that's the slight doubt I have in my mind, but I think the defence, the defensive process of Manchester City is enough for me to pull the trigger on back in Man City to win, just because they are conceding literally no chances whatsoever in matches. Um, I mean, their, their average is at 0.52 expected goals against per game this season, which is a staggeringly low total. Um, obviously, we're only through six games, so it's still a small sample. But you know, they were aligned 0.8 expected goals against per game for the entirety of last season. So we. We're seeing similar levels, if not marginally better, um, mm. which shows it's no fluke. And yes, Liverpool are absolutely rampant in attack at the moment, the way in which they're creating chances. Uh, averaging over three expected goals per game. They've scored three goals in the last five matches in all competitions before the game against Porto, which is obviously what we're recording this on the Tuesday before that game. Um, 
I don't know. I just, I've just got a feeling that City will be able to shut them down and do a job on them, um, similar to the way in which they did against Chelsea. Uh, I think it could be, it could end up being more entertaining than the Chelsea game, but I would not be at all surprised to see it be a one nil City win again. Um, obviously, the the game last season, which many thought was a, uh, it came, it came at a, a decent time for City in the sense that Liverpool, they actually Liverpool went into Christmas uh, leading the table, and this game was played. I think it was early February um, and you know the, the decimated back line uh, is automatically what springs to mind from remembering that match I think it was Henderson and Fabinho at centre-half uh, and City went there and absolutely dominated the game they won 4-1 I'm not expecting it to be as convincing this time round but yeah the way in which Liverpool defended last weekend is a massive cause for concern City should be able to expose that and the way in which City are defending, I think they'll be able to limit Liverpool like no team has so far this season. So um, Manchester City to win is is the bet for me at 2.47. Oh, yeah, it's really difficult to oppose Manchester City at the moment, the way in which they're playing. I know they had that 0-0 draw with Southampton, yeah. but you know, there's a few caveats there, a few missed, big missed chances. Um, and obviously we spoke about the defeat to Spurs on the opening day in which they created loads of chances and just didn't take them. So Correct, overall, yeah. City are playing an extremely high level. Liverpool's attack is playing at an extremely high level, but the defence has been exposed um, a few times. So, yeah, I found it, I was very, very close to going for the draw again, but I just think the, the, the way, you know, the strengths of these two teams. Don't worry, um, don't worry it's fine. Uh, you know what I love is when when you're, when you're really struggling to, to make a selection and you're going, oh, well, and you're torn on stuff and there's caveats and there's asterisks. <laughs> really, you can tell it really bothers yeah. you. Like, <laughs> I'm really, I'm really just, Yeah, because like you don't want to, you don't want to put a bet up that you're not like 100% behind. So Yeah, but um, you, you're, you're behind that, but, but you've caveated it with, with, with the midweek, haven't you? Yeah, Man City to win. I'm expecting it to be... Uh, Maybe over two and a half is is a decent outside bet because I think Liverpool have more firepower than Chelsea, especially if they need to chase a game. Um, yeah. So that you know that'd be a secondary bet, but I just think the it's difficult to oppose Manchester City right now the way in which they're playing, and uh, the only thing that could potentially scupper it, as I've said, is lack of energy, tiredness, Pep Guardiola's overthinking. Yeah. There we go. There we have it. Well, we're going to, you know, <laughs> you really I'm looking stressed. forward to that game though. I'm yeah. really looking forward to that now. We'll be a belter. It, you know what? And I've got to say as well, I know we're, not, we're going to talk about one individual player a lot in a minute. I think Grealish as well. Purely, you know, he's come into that side, world-class players all around him and he's slotted straight in, hasn't he? And he's just, he, he just gets it. it. Whatever Pep's telling him, he just gets it and you can tell his attitude's amazing. He clearly wants to be there and, and amongst it and proving himself and getting himself to the top of the tree. And he's, um, and, and he's still, he's still not quite there yet, which is just yeah, amazing. He'll, he'll only get better. I mean, yeah, he's played most of the season so far without the likes of Foden and De Bruyne in the team. And, and obviously they're key creators. They're, you know, precision passes, but the other thing that they do is they create awkward spacing for their opponents because they play in such such odd positions compared to other teams um, and other players that they create almost greater spaces for the likes of Grealish, the likes of Mares, the likes of Jesus, whoever it is, because all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, De Bruyne, you know, yeah, why yeah, is he yeah. there? And then they go and drawn towards him and there's some space in behind and same with Foden. Whereas at Aston Villa, it was just all Grealish. It was like, right, if we can try and shut Grealish down, the attack's sort of not really going to function. But nowadays at Manchester City, you know, he didn't he didn't quite have that early on in the season. He still did really well because uh, obviously they've got world-class players all around them. But when you get the likes of De Bruyne, the likes of Foden involved, all of a sudden, it, you know, it, it becomes sort of next man up, really. It's like, right, well, Foden's not creating anything. 
pass it to De Bruyne. Oh, he's not doing all right. Grealish, you have a go. And then all of a sudden, yeah, it's frightening really the, the amount of talent that they have in that squad and, and particularly the, the attacking players. I like it. Um, we're talking of attacking players. Liverpool's Mo Salah at the weekend became the fifth fastest player to get to 100 Premier League goals just behind Thierry Henry and Sergio Aguero, Harry Kane and also Alan Shearer. So fifth fastest then, a remarkable achievement. Of course, he was, uh, well, he is the fastest player ever to do it for Liverpool, by the way, which is a fantastic um, achievement. Um, He's a firm favourite at Anfield, isn't he, Jake? Um, Since he came from Roma in 2017, of course, he had played in the Premier League before with Chelsea, um, but he's gone from being this winger with pace to burn to this absolute goal machine, hasn't he? You know, he's won the Premier League Golden Boot twice, player of the season, um, when, the season when he scored 32 and 36 appearances, no less for Liverpool. I mean, he is a proper, proper player. Um, it's been a joy to watch him. He goes about his business in you know, a, a, a quiet way, really, I suppose. He's quite an unassuming character, isn't he? There's not much controversy around him, apart from when he goes off to play for Egypt, and then there seems to be a little bit that he comes back with. But he's um, he's gone from pace merchant to, you know, absolute demon in front of goal, Jake. So what what do the numbers say about Mo Salah? Oh, they say he's an absolutely frightening proposition. Um, <laughs> I mean, you, you, you nailed it. He's, he's transformed himself from what many thought was a Premier League flop to arguably one of the best Premier League players we've ever seen or one, at least one of the best imports we've ever seen. So um, it's a lot of credit goes to him for adapting his game, improving while I was at Roma, but also to Jurgen Klopp for actually and Liverpool's recruitment team for spotting the talent they had, the potential runs that he was making um, and, and bringing him in and, and slot him into that, that really, really high quality 11 and, and feeding him the ball and giving him chances because... One thing that we know about Salah is that while sometimes he can be a little bit wasteful, he always gets himself in scoring positions. That's one thing that is, you know, every good striker, good finisher should do is consistently get themselves in scoring positions. Because if you have a bad run of form where you don't take the chances, at least you're still getting there and that form will turn around. I'd be more worried for my striker if they weren't getting on the end of chances um, going through a bad run. So, you know, Salah is only rivaled by Harry Kane over the last five years in terms of expected goals per 95 minutes, which shows you the kind of company he's keeping. And, and you know, Kane's an out-and-out striker, or he has been for most of the five years, but Salah is is, is a right forward, really, and never re- very rarely plays down the middle. Um, his 100 goals have come from chances equating to 91.7 expected goals. So, you know, he's overperformed marginally, but he's finishing at a kind of expected rate, um, which suggests that he's not an an elite finisher, but he's elite at getting in the area and getting in on the end of chances. Similar to what I was saying about Cristiano Ronaldo when we did his deep dive. He's not an elite finisher by any means. He scores the chances that we expect him to score uh, at, the, at the rate that we expect the average player to score them. He just gets on the end of more chances than the average player. Um, and that is something that Salah does brilliantly. And he does it just to, to a, a ridiculous rate, really, um, where he's getting two or on average, two or three big chances per match. And um, you know, that's shown by the fact that Andrew Beasley, friend of the pod, obviously, he put a nice thread out about Salah's breakdown of goals. I'm just going to nick a few stats from him. Some great some uh, great ones on there, by the way. Cheers, Andrew, for that thread because <laughs> it's been brilliant. I had a good, wasted a good 10 minutes looking down that. Yeah, hit me some, with some of the stats, Jake, from Andrew's thread. Yeah, so 39% of Salah's goals um, have been 
from uh, big chances or what we would class as big chances. So XG of 0.35 or greater, um, that's excluding the penalties as well. So you can see there straight away that he's that's a kind of expected rate, really. Um, big chances are 0.35 expected goals. So to finish at around 39% chance, 39% rate. And um, yeah, I think what, what's most impressive really is the importance of his goals for Liverpool because we talk about them getting, you know, number of goals being extraordinary, but the importance of his goals. I mean, Liverpool's record in the league when Salah scored uh, is 62 wins out of 79 matches. So when he scores, they win a high percentage of the matches. Um, yeah, there's some great stuff on this thread. 42 of Salah's goals gave Liverpool the lead, so they were the opening goal. Um, or you know, when the game was at 1-1, he scored to make it 2-1. 28 of his goals were actually gate, like decisive goals to win matches. So, you know, that that kind of, if you if you work that out in points over five what, seasons. What's that? Nearly um, 200 points, isn't it? Uh, not not quite, no. 84 points. Um, but oh, yeah, that's still an <laughs> still incredible impressive. number. I mean, you know, if you, if, you, if you, you know, what's he been there? Five seasons? Yeah. So he's, he's basically worth around 17 points a season to Liverpool, which is wow. an astonishing number. Um, and yeah, I, he, he is an extraordinary player and, and he's very difficult to deal with. He looks a lot better this season than he has done for the start of um, last season, the season before that even. And I think the reason for that is that he's had a, a summer off, which I'm pretty sure he'd be very pleased with because um, two years ago, obviously it was the World Cup. He was playing in for Egypt in the World Cup. Um, the year after that, was the African Cup of Nations. And then this last past year, while all, all his mates have been playing at Copa Americas or Euros, he's had a summer off uh, and he mm. looks better for it because the back end of last season, Liverpool's attacking players, particularly Mane and Salah, looked a little bit tired and drained because they had non-stop football for two or three years. Um, so I think that obviously he's made a great start to the season, five goals in six matches. He's averaging 0.8 expected goals per night five. But the way, the way in which he's going the fitness levels that he's showing, there's no reason to think why he can't potentially get close to his, his Premier League record, which is, or should I say 20 team Premier League record, which was, um, you know, way back in 17, 18, where he knocked in 23, uh, 32 goals. Mm. So the rate he's going at the moment, his expected goals per 95 rate is exactly the same as that season. So it won't be at all a surprise to see him really um, challenge that. And if it does, you have to think Liverpool have got a good chance at winning the title. They do. And at the moment, you can get Liverpool to win odds at time of recording 4.75 on Pinnacle. That's before the Manchester City game at the weekend. So like Jake says, uh, Mo Salah uh, does carry on in the form that he's going for the remainder of the season. Now we're just going to wrap up some quick fire bets from the remaining fixtures that we've not really touched on. Anything that catches your eye, Jake, from the following fixtures, Burnley versus Norwich, Leeds United versus Watford at Ellen Road. We've got Newcastle traveling to Molyneux to play Wolves. Palace host Watford and Villa travel to Tottenham. Of course, there was a loss, big loss at Tottenham's ground at the weekend. And that was Anthony Joshua losing all of his belts. <laughs> <laughs> Alexander bad, bad news for everyone involved with Tottenham at the weekend it was wasn't it it really was it'd have been a good PR thing had he won but it, it he didn't yeah start on Saturday Wolves Newcastle um, at first glance I thought Wolves were a little bit too short at 1.7 I thought there was a maybe a slight overreaction to, to their win against Southampton obviously we we like Wolves uh, from an XG perspective they should be in a in high 
position than they currently are. They're 14th. They sit fourth in our XG table. Um, their expected goal difference is the third best in the Premier League. So they, the numbers are suggesting that they're a very strong team. But I'm always wary of Newcastle just purely because of the counter-attacking threat. They have um, some good individuals and they have the potential to mix it up as well, playing defensive football as well as playing open, expansive football. So um, that didn't interest me. Instead, I was looking at the, the goal line. I was really surprised to see under two and a half goal, the outsider in that game. Um, and that's because, you know, although Nuno's moved on from Wolves, they're still very much playing um, low scoring football, which is, you know, some people, some people like it, some people don't. Um, but their games so far this season are averaging 1.3 goals per game. Um, so, you know, very few chances being created um, by the opponents, really. The defences look really solid, 1.05 expected goals against per game. Um, and I think Newcastle, while they have looked vulnerable at times, will be able to keep the score down. I do think Wolves will win the game, but under two and a half to me, shouldn't be the the outsider in this market. I would have made under two and a half favourites whenever Wolves played, to be honest. Nice. Okay, I like that. I like that one. That's a good one. And it's been an under two and a half goals type of week, actually, here on Premier League Insights, Jake. I like yeah, that one. Yeah, it yeah. all makes sense. It all makes sense. Okay, anyone? Do you any- know what? Some, sometimes, I mean, there, there is a reason for that. It's, yeah. it's, it's market driven. We're going off the prices, trying to find value. And, yeah. and that's purely just because... You know, as punters, we want to see goals. We want to see entertainment. So mm. people naturally back the over two and a half just because it's almost like a, um, a, you know, a trigger thinking, in the brain. wishful yeah. thinking, really. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and that, that you know, that automatically makes the bookmakers shorten the price of the overs. And that means the under two and a half price drifts because no one wants to back under two and a half goals. And ultimately, that's where the shrewd money is because, you know, well, this isn't NFL. This isn't basketball that are settled by scores of 41 to 30. You know, this is yeah. effectively 1-0, 2-1 at the very most. And, and you get the occasional 3-3 as we saw last week. But yeah, sometimes you get weeks like this where you just look at the games and the matchups and you just go, right, well, why is the under two and a half the outsider in this game? Um, and that yeah. Wolves game is, is a great example of that, as is the Tottenham Villa game. Um Again, really surprised to see the under two and a half goals as the favourite for this game. I mean, it's a 2.02. I think that's probably one of the best bets of the weekend for me. And we were touched on Tottenham. Their attacking issues last week before the North London derby. We said that basically they looked uh, non-existent from an attacking standpoint. And, and that had that continued against Arsenal. And, and now they're coming up against an Aston Villa defence, which the defence has propped up their team effectively. The last season, at the start of the season when Grealish was fit, he was the guy who was dragging them to good results and pulling them up the table. They've lost Grealish, but the defence has taken over as being the standout performer, really, for Aston Villa. And um, I, that's definitely one to keep an eye on as the season progresses because they are performing at an elite level defensively. Um, they're conceding just 1.2 expected goals against per game. Spurs are, are conceding two expected goals against per game, for example, a, a, a reference point. And as I said last week, going forward, Spurs are currently, they are ranked... Second worst in the Premier League based on expected goals. Wow, that's not only good. Norwich. <laughs> only Norwich have got a worse expected goals process than Spurs. Um, so yeah, that, again, that to me that just points to the under two and a half. We saw Aston Villa go to Old Trafford. They had a plan in place, which was to sit back and soak up a bit of pressure, counter attack, and uh, and try and score from set pieces. It'll be the exact same. Uh, and we've seen Spurs struggle to create chances against. Watford, Crystal Palace, Chelsea, Wolves, Arsenal, basically everyone they've played this season, they've actually struggled in attack. So I was really surprised to see the under two and a half um, at 2.02. And you can tell by my tone of voice, I'm excited about this bet. This is a bet I like. Um, And it's, you know, this is probably my biggest fancy of the weekend is, is the unders in that game. 
There we go. Uh, Jake absolutely smashed it this week. Lots of unders, lots of unders, but actually some really good bets, I think, this week. I've got a good feeling, actually. I've got a good feeling. Well, fingers crossed, week. yeah, because international break's coming up and, uh, you know, we could do with some good news before that. Just before that, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Totally agree. Uh, Jake, thanks so much, mate. That's Jake Oscar Thorpe from InfoGoal. As ever, you can find out more about the InfoGoal model at infogoal.net. You can follow Jake at Jake Oz. That's OZ on Twitter. All the latest Premier League markets at pinnacle.com, as well as the late betting strategy and insight. There's so many articles and stuff on the pinnacle.com website stay tuned to our social pages as well for more on the premier league match day three in the champions league plenty on the nfl as well please remember to gamble responsibly odds correct at the time of recording but more importantly thanks for listening